Well, I feel like I should begin by introducing myself with so many new people, and whether you're watching online or a part of our service across the street in the summit, just want to extend a special welcome to you. My name is Richard Conwisher, and I am privileged to serve as the seventh senior pastor in the over 100-year-plus history of the Peachtree Presbyterian Church. And as our family, as we're new here, just want to say a special thank you to the ways that you have welcomed us into your life, into your home into fellowship, and God willing, assuming that there's no buyer's remorse between now and next weekend, we hope to be with you for a long time in flourishing ministry together. I want to begin today by telling you of a time over 10 years ago when I was a pastor in the great state of Texas, early one Easter morning. And when I say early, I mean really early because this particular church in downtown San Antonio had an Easter sunrise service. So the first thing I want to communicate to you as your new pastor is thank you. Thank you for not having an Easter sunrise service. So I'm up really early. It's 4.30 in the morning and I'm already in the car behind the wheel. I mean, I'm pre-caffeinated, I am not awake yet, I am showered, shaved, and cleaned, and got the suit on, and I am ready to go. And on this particular moment, to make kind of matters even more difficult, there was this heavy, dense fog that just sucked in the whole city. And so I'm behind the wheel of a car, I'm driving more slowly than I normally would down US 281's, the 16.1 miles from our home to the church. And I remember thinking to myself as I'm driving, no one is going to be at this Easter sunrise service. I'm not sure Jesus is going to be at this Easter sunrise service with this kind of weather. So I'm making my way down, I'm driving slowly because of the inclement weather, and, and as I'm driving down, I'm in the middle road, nobody else is on the road, I peer through the fog, and it, it appears to me that out in front of me, as far as I can see, is a refrigerator in the middle of the highway. And so I'm like shaking my head, I'm like, I must be dreaming still or something, but sure enough, after I shake my head, that refrigerator's still there. I get a little closer and I'm like, yep, that refrigerator is getting closer. So I swerve out of the way. Apparently there had been a flatbed truck that had some kind of appliances on the back of it. And because of the bad weather, one of the appliances had fallen off and was in the middle of the highway. So I swerve around the refrigerator. But when I do so, I could not see the fact that there was all this debris in the other lane. And so I hit the debris, immediately blow out the front two tires and have to pull over to the side. Man, am I awake now. There is nothing like a near brush with death to put a little giddy up in an Easter sermon. And so I'm sitting there still gripping the steering wheel. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad that I'm alive. Now it's interesting, my little emotional roller coaster that day was one of I came to Easter with a certain kind of fear, and then I left fearing something else entirely. And that emotional journey, that roller coaster, is actually fairly similar to the journey of the women on that first Easter morning at the empty tomb. That they came to Easter with kind of a certain set of fears like I did. I had logistical fears. I mean, I grew, you know, woke up that morning, I'm thinking, is the sermon right? I'm thinking, are all the different elements of the service going to come together? 
But as soon as I went around that refrigerator, I was not worried about how the service was going to run and whether or not it was going to be efficient. I wasn't worried about logistics. I was worried about my life. The same thing is true of the women. They came worried about logistics. Who will roll away the stone for us? But as soon as they saw the empty tomb and heard the news, uh uh-uh, all bets were off. They were not worried about logistics anymore. They came fearing one thing. They left fearing something else entirely. I want to invite you today to experience this fear factor journey for yourself. If you will, go ahead and reach in your Bible. Uh, We've provided Bibles for you to use in the pew rack in front of you. Turn with us to the Easter story according to Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 16. Mark is the earliest of the biographers of Jesus. He's the no-nonsense, no-frills, action-packed kind of explanation of the gospel. It's the shortest gospel. And... All the biographies and evangelists and witnesses to Jesus Christ, they all emphasize in particular the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that time slows in that part of their kind of portrayals of Jesus. And they all talk about the same moment in history, but they do so through a slightly different lens. Uh, One of the gospel writers might emphasize the hope of the gospel at Easter, and another one might emphasize the joy of Easter, and it's writing and then in the gospel of mark what we have is the shock and awe of easter and so listen to god's holy word when the sabbath was over mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint jesus body very early on the first day of the week just after sunrise they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling. And bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's how it ends. That's how the story concludes. And we're so uncomfortable with kind of this hanging ending that we want to dress it up a little bit. You might even notice that in your translations it says that later manuscripts kind of put a little postscript or something on there uh, to continue, but they aren't in the original story. We try to make this story a little more palatable, a little more comfortable. We want this story to fit in our boxes a little more, and we want to pretty it up a little bit and maybe even explain it a little bit. But I think Mark is up to something here when he's telling us this story in this particular way. He is saying that Easter is a heart-thumping, soul-expanding, mind-blowing moment. And if you're not a little bit bewildered, if you're not dazed, if you're not alarmed, if you're not at least a little bit afraid when you come to Easter, then perhaps it's not Easter that you have really encountered I believe that Easter is a disruptive moment in your life. And that if you really take it seriously, it will challenge your assumptions. It will change your direction and the trajectory of your life. 
And I think that all of us, when we're confronted with this story, have to come to terms that we have not just a decision to make, but a commitment to make. That either in the face of the Easter story, we have to determine that one of three things likely happened. That either A, it's fake news, B, it's bad news, or C, it's good news. Fake news, it's good, but it's not real. Bad news, it's real, but it's not good. Or good news, meaning that it's both true and beneficial to us all. Let's talk about each of these one at a time. First, let's talk about whether or not Easter is fake news. Well, the Kawasher family comes to you from Southern California, and one of our favorite places to go, one of our favorite playgrounds, was Disneyland. And what I mean it was our playground, for us as a family, it was like going to Chastain Park. Full disclosure here, in the seven plus years that I was in Southern California, I went to Disneyland over 200 times. <laughs> we love Disneyland. And we love not only the kind of the playfulness of Disneyland, but we also love the history because Disneyland special, it's the only park where Walt actually walked. In fact, did you know, did you know that Disneyland actually, uh, Walt had an apartment inside the park at Disneyland? I want to show you a picture here. This is the outside of Walt's apartment where you see up above the fire station in the Main Street Plaza. There's a kind of window up there with, you can see maybe the faint outline of a Christmas tree. That was Walt's own apartment. And if you know the right people and if you pray enough, you too might be able to go into Walt's apartment. It's not on any regular tour, but here's what it looks like on the inside. I mean, it's a museum. They haven't touched it since... Walt lived there. It's just a living testimony to the heritage and the way that things were when Walt helped to construct and to conceive of the park. They haven't changed even like the appliances or the little kitchenette that's in this place. And while our family was kind of getting to tour the um, Walt's apartment, we heard this fantastic true story of Walt with his grandkids. Because as Walt aged, not only did he bring his kids to Disneyland, but he also at that point had grandkids and they would come and stay with granddad at Disneyland and get to spend the night in Disneyland. How cool would that be? Well, his grandkids got this idea one night. And the idea that they got was that they would sneak out of the apartment. Here is an image of what it's like out the back of the apartment. You come down out of the apartment, you climb up over a fence and in through these trees, and you find yourself, if you do this, in the back recesses of the ride that's known as the Jungle Cruise. How many of you have been on the Jungle Cruise ride at Disney World or Disneyland? All right, you know that this is not the most serious of rides. I mean, this is not the Hollywood Tower of Terror. This is not the Haunted Mansion. This is a very playful ride. But at night, it does get a little eerie because the animals and the cannibals start to look a little more real. Well, here's what the grandkids did. They snuck down out of the apartment. They climbed over the fence. They made their way through the trees. And as they got into the position next to the animals and the cannibals, they froze. And the boat started coming by. And then they would jump out at them and scream at them. And you could hear people on the boats going, ah! 
Because what had happened in that moment was that reality had broken through into the fantasy. And this is what we actually believe happens at Easter. What we believe is that the reality of God in the empty tomb breaks through the fantasy of our unbelief. This is how C.S. Lewis came to understand it. C.S. Lewis was an expert in medieval mythology. That was where all of his research and his expertise was. And he, as he grew up and as he became an adult, he believed that Christianity was just another one of those myths that was out there in the world. Yeah, it might be a good story, but it's not real. And then he started investigating. He started learning more. He started paying more attention and then he realized, no, this isn't a myth. It's not written like a myth. This actually happened. Reality broke through the fantasy. C.S. Lewis wrote this, it's always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry, it's alive. An impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at infinite speed, the hunter, the king, the husband, that's quite another matter. There comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burglars hush suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, suddenly draw back, supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he has found us. I walked away from the faith during college and high school. I came back to faith after I examined it with new eyes. I thought it was a myth, but then when I really looked at it, I came to realize that it was true. You might be coming to worship today, there's a whole lot of discussion about fake news and social media today, and you might be coming with your questions and your doubts and your skepticism. I'm here to tell you that there is no event in ancient history that has been scrutinized and studied and written about more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so you can come to church with your questions, you can come to church with your doubts, and you can investigate. And I have a feeling that if you actually take it seriously and if it gets a fair hearing, what you will discover is the intellectual credibility of the gospel and what we proclaim is actually true, that what happened at Easter actually happened. Could be fake news, could be bad news. This one requires a little more explanation. I think it's safe to say that it's been a bad couple of weeks for United Airlines. I mean, the video footage of Dr. David Dow dragged forcibly from the airplane. You know, if you were a United executive, don't you wish you could kind of unwind the clock a little bit on this one and go back and do a few things differently? There's been this incredible outcry over this video and what happened. And I actually think at its core, it's not primarily a PR debacle. I think there's something more going on here. 
I think the reason that we're so upset by this is, is that this taps into one of our deepest fears. One of our deepest fears is that we won't belong. One of our deepest fears is that there's not a place for us. One of our deepest fears is that there's not room for us and maybe that there's someone or there's something out there that one day might find out that we're a fraud and they're going to pick us out and in some unjust or impersonal system, they're going to pull us away and throw us away. I think that's one of our deepest fears. Or maybe for you, this is not an intellectual exercise. Maybe for you, you looked at the video and you know firsthand what it's like to be injured, to be harmed, to be forced to do something that you don't want, to be abused. And if that's your story, I want you to hear anew the words of Jesus when he was speaking to his lonely and his frightened disciples and he said, in my father's house, there's plenty of room. And I go there to prepare a place for you. And after I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be also, that there will be a place for us. More specifically in the Easter passage in verse seven, did you notice that it says quickly there that Jesus is going ahead of you? that he paves the way for you. This is a very specific verb in the original language. It doesn't mean, hey, I'm gonna go on ahead and when you guys get to it, uh, you can catch up if you want to. No, the word going ahead actually has a very specific meaning. The way that it's used in other places in the Bible, it's like a military commander that goes ahead to be able to secure the peace to make sure that it's safe for passage. Or it's like used in the Bible as a shepherd, as a shepherd goes ahead to make sure that the sheep will all be safe as they come. Here's the deal. The word communicates both victory and security. And this is what Jesus has done for you and for me. Many people misunderstand and they think that Easter is just about going to heaven after you die. I'm here to tell you that it's more than that that Jesus is doing a redemptive mission in the world and all of the injury, all the harm, all of the injustice, all the fears that we have, Jesus is going to undo all of that and make that right again. So just in the same way that you can bring your doubts and insecurities to Easter and that Easter's big enough to handle those, so too can you bring your hurts and your pains and Jesus is here to prepare a safe place for you. Could be fake news, could be bad news, could be good news. The reason we believe it's good news is that what looked like an ending is actually a beginning. That when Jesus said, it is finished, he also with the empty tomb was saying, it has begun. And you got to ask yourself, well, what is it that's begun? There is this great reunion. There is this great community being formed. And the promise is, is that you will see him. For you see, Easter isn't just about getting your kind of passport stamped and saying, you get to go to heaven. It's about more than that. It's that you and I get to live and to reign with the risen Christ. There will be a great reunion for us. In my previous church, there's this family uh, that we're close to, and Jim Hunter is one of my heroes. Jim and Pat are remarkable people, and one of the reasons I love Jim so much, it's not because he was really successful in business, although he was. It's not because of the fact that when he was 90 years old, he went snow skiing with his great-grandkids, as cool as that is. One of the reasons that Jim and Pat are some of my heroes is that they're the kind of people that have this 
disarming kindness and generosity. They're always looking for a way to bless someone else. They live in a retirement community in Southern California and there was this one time that there was this other elderly woman who came to live there. And she was the kind of woman who was initially from another culture, another country, she was from Poland. And she tended to keep people at arm's length and keep them away. She never liked to share her story. But with Jim and Pat's disarming hospitality and generosity and kindness, they got her to open up. And they found out that, yes, she has this incredibly painful yet thankful journey of during World War II moving to the United States and finding a safe place here. But the part that was difficult for her is that she had to leave all of her family behind. And in all the decades since World War II, she had not once ever seen or set eyes on her family. Well, she was too old to go over to Portland, wouldn't have been safe. However, Jim and Pat got an idea. And what they did was they got her a computer with a web camera on it, and they found out a way to communicate with her family and get some tech-savvy people in Poland to get them in front of a computer with a camera on it. And one day, this woman came into her apartment, sat down at her desk, and there on the screen were siblings that she hadn't seen in a long, long time. And there, crowding into the screen, were children of those siblings and other relatives, ones that she had never met. And the tears just streamed down her face. For now, we see in a web camera dimly, but then we shall see face to face. For now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. It was a great story on ESPN just a couple of weeks ago. I want to show you an image from it up on the screen. I love this image because the guy on the left here is wearing a Houston Astros vintage jersey. I mean, these have got to be one of the worst logos and jerseys ever in recorded history. When I used to live in Houston, we called them the Houston Disastros because they were so bad. But he's wearing a great jersey in the sense of it's a vintage Nolan Ryan, the great Texas pitcher. And that's obviously his baseball hero. So here he is at a game wearing an Astros jersey, wearing a Nolan Ryan jersey. And yet, the reason that ESPN did an article or at least a brief caption on this picture is that this guy has no clue that the guy sitting next to him on his right is none other than the great Nolan Ryan. And I remember reading this on ESPN and I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, what an idiot, right? Can you believe that guy? His hero is Nolan Ryan and he's at a baseball game with Nolan Ryan, but he's not even talking with Nolan Ryan who's right there next to him. What an idiot. 
And then as the Spirit of God is like to do, he convicts my heart and says, Rich, are you any different? Rich, you wear the jersey that says Christian. It may even have the name Jesus on the back. But sometimes, Rich, you're wearing that jersey and you're at the game. But you're living like I'm not even there at times. It's one thing to wear the jersey, is it not? It's a whole other thing altogether to turn and to interact and to talk face to face with the risen Savior through the power of the Spirit. And yet that's what's available to us. I believe that Easter is the only thing that will enable us to be able to get through the dense fog that is our community and our culture today and a. And I believe that Easter is the only thing that will help fake news be exposed and that bad news gets redeemed and that good news gets enacted because it's not just good news for you and for me. It's good news for everybody. And what I mean by this is that the good news that is promised in Easter when it says that you will see him is not just a promise of reassurance, it's also a calling. That you will see him in the face of the child that's hungry. That you will see him in the face of the mother that can't provide for her family. That you will see him in the face of that lonely coworker that is in the cubicle next to you. That you will see him in the face of your spouse that's being neglected but that needs to be cherished. You will see him in the friend that's walking the hallway at school that needs to be talked to or a pat on the back. You will see him in these places because Mother Teresa says that Jesus is always there in distressing disguise. And what you did to the least of these, you did unto me. Jesus declares it is not just an assurance it's a calling you will see him and the question is as we as a church are we just wearing the jersey or are we actually in the game turning and working and playing and celebrating with the Savior maybe you came to church today with a certain set of fears Is the table going to be set right for Easter? Are we going to be late? Is the preacher going to go long and we're going to miss our brunch reservation? (laughs) But I'm hoping you leave today with a different set of fears altogether. It's called the fear of the Lord and it's the beginning of wisdom. Because if you don't have a sense of awe and wonder and bewilderment at Easter then perhaps it's not Easter that you've really encountered. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we are so grateful. So grateful that you can help us to find our way through the fog of this world to be able to find clarity with you. And I pray, God, that you will make this moment of worship right now a heart-thumping, soul-shaking, mind-blowing moment. And that you will disrupt us as your people, that you'll challenge our assumptions, that you'll confront us to make not just a decision, but a commitment to you. And so, God, for anybody here who has come with their questions and their doubts, who believe that Easter really is fake news, will you bring reality to break through the fantasy of unbelief. God, for anybody here today or who's watching online who has hurts, pains, injuries, 
or maybe who feels like that life has dragged them away and that they don't know what to do with the hurt. God, I pray that you will prepare a safe place for them and assure them of the security and the victory that you have won. Redeem the pain, God. And finally, God, I pray for all of us who call ourselves Christians. And I pray that we will not only long for the reunion and will not only just wear the jersey, but that we will join you. We'll join you in the great game that is at work in the world where your goodness will shine and people will see the face of Jesus even in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.